We want to thank you. My wife, Sandy, uh, uh, has the opportunity to be with me today, and I'm just so grateful that she can be with me. But we want to thank you uh, for your prayers and your support. I know that many of you have been praying for uh, several crises that are going on in the world at the moment. And uh, I'd just like to bring you a brief update on what is happening. Uh, in the country of Iraq, by the way, there are 10 countries in the world that are listed as most dangerous for Christians, and Iraq is in the top 10. Uh, as we were lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ today, my heart was just, uh, it, was, it was torn, it was bifurcated. It was bifurcated because, number one, I just thought, what a wonderful privilege, I can raise my hand and, and uh, without fear, without fear of any kind of repercussion or anything else, that I can exalt Jesus Christ and, and I can verbally and, uh, and musically express that with my whole being. And uh, I rejoiced in that. On the other side of that, I thought about my brothers and sisters and children in Christ that stand up, get their heads chopped off or their hands because they will not bow down to any other Lord other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said to myself, what a crazy world we live in, that we can have such beautiful freedom and the expression is there, and we can honor Jesus in our worship. But how thankful we are also that our brothers and sisters in Christ can honor Jesus Christ in worship as well by giving and standing up for Jesus in difficult situations. That's worship as well. So thank you for your worship and expression here. But I want to thank you on behalf of our, our brothers and sisters in Christ in Iraq that are suffering enormous consequences for standing up for Jesus and worshiping. I want you to know that we have uh, stations there. We have a church in Baghdad that is feeding and helping. We have churches in Kurdistan. We're even looking to beginning to begin a school. Do you know there are 3,000 children in one area that don't even have any school this year? 130,000 refugees in one Assemblies of God church in a, in a city in Kurdistan. We have 200 people sleeping in the church. Thank you for your prayers them. Take you over to Syria, and I can tell you some of the same stories of Syrian Christian refugees that are getting out of the country, that having to be fed, living in tents, worshiping Jesus in that manner, and being exalt and, and exalting Jesus Christ. I can tell you about your brothers and sisters in Christ in West Africa that are suffering from Ebola. This week, the fifth Assemblies of God pastor in Liberia died because of the Ebola crisis. I can tell you that Assemblies of God World Missions and your prayers and your donations and your giving on a Sunday like this makes a difference in many people's lives. We've sent in funds, we've sent in medical supplies, we've sent in help into Liberia, into Sierra Leone, into Guinea. We've sent those same things into Iraq and outside of Syria and Jordan and so on and so on it goes. And that all happens because the body of Christ understands that Jesus is Lord and that we are connected to one another. In fact, Corinthians tells us that when one member suffers, you can finish that, can't you? We all suffer. And when one member is honored, we are all honored. So praise God that we can be a part of the body of Christ. And Lord Jesus, we uplift our brothers and sisters in Christ today, particularly in these three places in which I've mentioned. Lord, I thank you, God, that there are people willing never to back down on their, in their faith, Lord, 
but to stand up for you. We think of that old song, stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. We pray for these, Lord, that you would give them strength, you would give them mercy. Lord, that you would bring a, a, a resolution to the difficulties in that country. Lord, we pray that you'd give our brothers and sisters in Christ stamina and strength to stand up for you. Lord, we think of those that are having to flee, flee out of uh, different parts of the world, but particularly Syria, and we just pray your hand of blessing on them. And our brothers and sisters in Christ that are fighting this dreaded disease, Ebola, we pray in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit would bring healing, that you'd bring uh, faith, Lord, that you'd bring all the things that are necessary, medical supplies and, and education, Lord, so that, uh, God, that you can be exalted through the church. We know that crisis is opportunity for you to demonstrate your love through your church. And so we thank you, God, not for the crisis, but we thank you that we can demonstrate our love today, even by praying and interceding for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 10, verse 15 says, And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them who bring good news. Turn to your neighbor, look at their feet, and say, Beautiful. Now, when this was written, when this was written, they wore sandals. Some of you are wearing sandals today. It's a little easier to see the feet. It is estimated that in the year 2012, in July, that the seventh billionth person was born on the planet. In 1914, when the Assemblies of God was formed in Hot Springs, Arkansas, there were 1.8 billion people on earth. 300 people gathered together, as you can see in the picture. Many of them looked like us, didn't they? Gathered in Hot Springs, Arkansas. They were kicked out of their churches. They were ostracized from their churches. Many of them, most of them, because they received the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. This was absolutely new at the turn of the 20th century in the early 1900s. There had been recorded instances of people being baptized in the Spirit in history, but in the manner and in the power and in the widespread view that it came in the early 20th century never had been recorded in human history. And so the mainline church really didn't know what to do with people that were being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and so they thought they were crazy. They thought they were fanatics. They thought they were chandelier swingers, snake holders. They thought all kinds of things, and a lot of it was true. What was really true is that they were baptized in the Spirit to have power to be his witness. And it just kind of made the church at that time uncomfortable. So they gathered there and they recognized, they did an analysis, and the, they discerned what was happening in Scripture, and they determined that the Holy Spirit was given so that they could take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So those 300 people said this, we commit ourselves in the movement to him for the greatest evangelism the world has ever seen. 300 people, 1.8 billion people in the world, they had the audacity to believe 
that God would use them to be the greatest tool of evangelism the world has ever seen. A few years later, in a general council, they came together and said, God, what do you, would you have us to do? And the Lord spoke, and he said, we want you to seek out neglected regions. We want you to go to places where people don't know my name, don't know about me. Now, if we were to look back in history at that time of those 300 people gathering together, there were about 650 million Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists. Now, 100 years later, there are 700 million Buddhists, 1 billion Hindus, and 1.5 billion Muslims. Three times as many back then as back then. The fact is 86% of those people, those 3.2 billion people plus, have never met a believer like you. Never met a Christian that could tell them that Jesus Christ could be their Lord and Savior. Can I take, I want to I take a little survey with you, if you don't mind participating in this survey. All you have to do is raise your hand when I ask a question. Not real hard. How many of you have asked Jesus to forgive you one time of your sins? That's a whole lot of us. Two times. Can I spare the misery here and... Multiple times, Sandy and I were on an airplane coming out of Mexico City several years ago. We were about 10 seconds into the takeoff. The engine on the right-hand side of the airplane blew up. The cabin filled with smoke. The plane went like this. What were the first words out of my mouth? Jesus, forgive me of my sins. <laughs> Duh. The plane was going down, I wanted to go up. You know what I'm saying? What a privilege. You hear my heart here. What a privilege that I have had the opportunity multiple times to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. When over three billion people, not even one time, have had that opportunity. They don't they don't have a church like this where they can walk to or even drive to. They don't have believers like you that they can meet at the grocery store or at their work or in their neighborhood. They don't have a radio program that talks about Jesus. They don't have a television program that talks about Jesus. Most of them don't even have a Bible in their own language. What a privilege. What a privilege. They're not easily accessible to the gospel. A growing number of these countries and these people have restrictions regarding Christian missionaries. So I've asked myself a question. I've asked myself a lot of questions, and I'd like to, I'd like to ask those questions to us today. How will they hear the message of Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, who was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, performed signs, wonders, and miracles, sacrificed himself for the sins of mankind in every generation, his generation and the 21 generations since, was buried in the tomb, was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
showed himself after the resurrection to over 500 people, commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, waiting the day that he will return. How will they hear? How can their chains of drug abuse and alcoholism and pornography be broken off? How will they experience forgiveness for bitterness, for jealousy, for hatred, for stealing, and for prejudice? How will they see their families reunited and marriages restored after divorce and brokenhearted people? How will they experience peace like a river and joy unspeakable and full of glory? How will they bear the burden of sin for rebellion, for broken relationships, for trampled self-image, for heartaches too numerous to mention from this pulpit today without understanding the transforming power of the salvation of Jesus Christ. And most importantly, how will they avoid an eternity devoid of God, burning in hell, separated from life, and the torture of memories and physical pain unless someone brings them the message that Jesus Christ can save them from their sins? We must never forget that Jesus is the one mediator between God and man. We must never forget there is salvation in no other name, for there is no other name given under heaven whereby men can be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we want to live and we hear about tolerance all the time. Tolerance can never creep into the church of Jesus Christ. Forgive me for saying that in this manner. We cannot tolerate any other way. There is only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ, the only mediator. Outside of that, my tolerance level is pretty good. But that is the crux that will bear down on the church here in the United States in seasons to come. As we have read, Paul addressed the Romans in chapter 10. Unless people that have this message are sent, the lost will not hear. So what implications does it have for us this morning on this Missions Emphasis Day? I believe that the Church of Jesus Christ, and particularly we, the Pentecostals, have an obligation to send or be sent. How many love that word obligation? Yeah, like three of us. Remember when we used to get mail, you know, in envelopes? Remember that? There was always these envelopes had little windows in them. Hated those envelopes because they were bills. We were obligated. Now, I'm not talking about that kind of obligation. I don't think the Apostle Paul was. He says in Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, I am obligated both to the Greeks and to the non-Greeks. We have any Greeks here? Can't see too well. Any non-Greeks here? Yeah. How about the wise and foolish? Don't raise your hand. Don't. <laughs> Paul says, this is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. 
This obligation isn't because of some sort of, uh, of uh, uh, pain that would be hanging over us for something that we did. No, this obligation is like in the Old Testament where the slave chose to remain a slave with his master. He was a love slave or she was a love slave. They loved the master so much they said, hey, put a, a little, put an earring in my ear and I, that will indicate that I choose to be a slave. That's the obligation I'm talking about. I'm talking about an obligation where Christ has done so much in my life that I'm just thankful, thankfully obligated to my Savior, my Lord, my baptizer, my healer, the forgiver of my sins, the restorer of my life, the, the Father of heaven, the coming Lord Jesus Christ. I'm obligated. I'm obligated because he's forgiven me of my sins and given me new life. I have four things. I know, I know preachers normally have three things. I have four things today. You get a bonus. All in the same time limit. Hopefully. Joke, joke. It's a joke. First, first obligation. I believe we have a universal obligation to send or be sent. To send or be sent. Let me take you way back into the 18th century. The whole church paradigm was changed in the 18th century. They had a parish paradigm. Now, what a parish paradigm was is they believed that, they, that the church was responsible for only a little locale, like a county or a village or a city. That was all their responsibility was. And so every church had this kind of mentality. And then came along a shoe salesman. Any shoe salesman here? by the name of William Carey. He wasn't a preacher, wasn't a priest, wasn't a pastor, wasn't an evangelist or an apostle. He was a shoe salesman. But he had a burden for the lost, and God burdened him so much that he wrote a little pamphlet. It's a little book. And here's the title of that little book, An Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of Heathens. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? title was bigger than the book. Up, to, up until then, the church was actually sitting on its stuff, not doing anything about the lost around the world. And because he wrote that, because he had passion, because he knew that God wanted to, to take the message of Christ beyond his own borders, he wrote this book, and then he gave himself in missionary activity in India. Fifty years later, a man in the United States by the name of Judson wrote this. He said, let me now submit that the command to go into all the world can be obeyed by every believer. It is of universal obligation. To refresh our history, Judson was the first North American missionary to be sent out by a North American missionary society. His goal was to go to India. Let me give you a little side note there. He was in he wanted to be engaged. He met this beautiful young lady, and he wanted to get engaged to her, and so he wrote the father-in-law a letter. And I can't read the whole letter to you, but I, a little summary was, Dear sir, I want to I ask your daughter to marry me. I want you to give me permission. I'm going to take her uh, across the seas, thousands of miles away from you and her mother. She will live in jungle infested with bugs and animals. 
there will be all these kinds of dangers and she may get sick and she may die and never see you again. Will you give her hand in marriage to me? How many fathers here with daughters? I mean, what's your answer? The father's answer was, take my daughter. Now, you can exegete that in two ways. He wanted to get rid of her, or he recognized God's hand on their life, which he did. Judson got to India with his wife. Took him three months. They had to go by boat back then. Got to India. Didn't work out there. He went on to Burma, which is now Myanmar. He learned the Burmese language, shared the gospel for over 18 years, and only saw 12 converts. He was put in jail. He was tortured. He lived there almost 40 years, but he learned the Burmese language, and he translated the Bible into the Burmese language. And 200 years later, our missionaries are still using that Bible in Myanmar. His son, Edward Judson, said this, success and suffering are vitally and organically linked. If you succeed without suffering, it is because someone suffered for you. Somebody paid the price. Somebody paid the price for me. They prayed. They shared the gospel with me. They didn't give up on me. Somebody suffered for me. And then he goes on to say, if you're suffering without succeeding, it is in order that someone after you may succeed. Some of you are in a place where you're suffering. You're sowing seeds. You're getting persecuted. But I want you to know those seeds will bear fruit. Don't give up. You know, this kind of universal obligation becomes more and more intense as we let Scripture sink into our hearts and our spirits. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some count slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. I want you to know that Jesus Christ wants every member of ISIS to be saved. Yes, he does. He wants every person that has ever persecuted, hurt, harmed, killed a Christian to be saved. Anybody remember the story of Saul? He was a persecutor of the church. He was a murderer. He kidnapped people. And Jesus saved him and turned around the whole Mediterranean basin. Brothers and sisters, there's a Saul out there. There's a Saul out there that needs to be saved. NCU graduate Darth Lee talking about universal obligation because sometimes we start making excuses whether to send or be sent. Darth grew up in the killing fields of Cambodia. Remember Pol Pot regime when he was just absolutely killing his own people, destroying his own people? He would send, in fact, they have a, a film called The Killing Fields. At eight or nine years old, he was separated from his mother and father. Mother and father separated from each other, all family gone. He was put into the rice fields, had to work from the morning till the night, slept on the ground, got a little bowl of rice and a little water every day, was tortured and beat, and out in the fields in the hot sun, taking care of the rice paddy. This went on for several years. When he was preteen or just about a teen, he said to his friends, hey, let's get out of here, let's escape into the jungle. They said, we may die out there. He said, if we stay here, we'll die. 
So a couple of his friends got with him. They went through the jungle, made it to Bangkok, Thailand, got into a, a UN a refugee camp. There, they were found by an American couple that wanted to adopt a young Cambodian boy. This boy, with all of that pain and torture and everything behind him, growing up Buddhist, was taken to America to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Now there's a seat change. That family that adopted him was an Assemblies of God family. That little Buddhist boy that had been tortured heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, gave his heart to Christ, was baptized in the Holy Spirit. God called him in the ministry, went to North Central University. There, at his time during North Central University, there was only one other Cambodian student, a she. Oh, yeah. They got married. They had children. They went into the ministry. When Cambodia opened up, one of our missionaries that went into Cambodia to open up and pioneer that work called Darth up. He heard about him and said, you've got to come and help me because you speak the language. Darth said, I can't come. I can't go back. Memories are too painful. Too, too hard. But the missionary never gave up. He called him. He called him. He said, okay, I'll come for two weeks. He goes for two weeks. He lands all the memories, all the demons, all the devils of the past come and attack him. But he manages to survive and has ministry those two weeks. He comes back to the United States. His wife meets him as soon as he comes out. He doesn't even have an opportunity to say the word. She says to him, I know, honey, God has called us to go back to Cambodia. They're there in Cambodia now, ministering in a northern province to people that actually live on a lake. They don't, they're not lake houses. They're houses on a lake. Never had heard the gospel. They built a school. They built a church. And for the first time in their history, they're hearing that Jesus Christ can save them from their sins. Universal obligation. <laughs> Secondly, we have a unique obligation. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father, that, which he has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Missionary Melvin Hodges said, the Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. The Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. Acts 1.8, you will receive the Spirit and the power. When it comes upon you, you will be, no, you can be, not you might be, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and on unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Let me take you back in history once again. Pioneer missionary to Muslims in India and Persia, Henry Martin, said this, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions, and the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. Martin studied law at Cambridge University, was a brilliant student, read the words of William Carey, God touched his heart, he was engaged to be married, married, told his future wife, honey, we've got to go to India. She says, I'm not going. He got on a boat without her. He goes to India, learns Hindustani, translates the Bible into Hindustani, gets terribly sick with tuberculosis, has to get out of the country, goes to Iran. Muslim clerics engage him in conversation. He's so, so burdened for them, he learns Persian language 
translates the Bible into Persian, he said this, God, let me burn out for you in Iran. He contacted fever and at 31 years of age died. Having translated the Bible into Hindustani and Persian, he gave his life. He had a unique obligation because the Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. Brothers and sisters, I'm not calling all on, on all of us to go somewhere and die, but I may be calling on some of us to go and die or live. It's because Holy Ghost has come upon us. We are His witnesses. He empowers us to do what we cannot do. And that's why I believe that we either send or we're sent. There is no retreat when the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes upon us. He overwhelms us. Our whole paradigm changes. Before, we may be shy, we may be introverted. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we have the authority. We have the empowerment. We have the enablement. We have the gift. We have God the Father indwelling us in the Holy Spirit so that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can witness to our neighbor, our colleague, our friend. We can put in the offering. We can pray because the Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. A little quiet here. Third, we have the utmost obligation. There's a, a writer, his name is Oswald Chambers. He wrote a devotional. Many of you may have read some of them. The devotional is called My Utmost for His Highest. Paul says this. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Wow. To win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews and to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though myself am not under the law. He adapted so that people could hear the message of Jesus Christ. How do we get to this point of abandonment? How do we get to this point of selflessness? Do we map, do we map out a, a discipleship strategy? Do we study materials that will guide us? Do we debate the pros and cons of utmost obligation? There's an old hymn that says, Jesus, use me. It goes something like this. Dear Lord, I'll be a witness if you will help my weakness. I know that I'm not worthy, Lord, of thee. By faith I see thee upon the cross of Calvary. Dear Lord, I cry, let me thy servant be. I'll stand for thee, dear Jesus, though death may come my way. I'll spread the gospel to the fallen here. But if it be thy will to go across the sea, Lord, help me willing, be willing to say yes. And the chorus goes, Jesus, use me, and oh, Lord, don't refuse me. For surely there's a work that I can do. And even though it's humble, Lord, help my will to crumble. And though the cost be great, I'll work for you. You see, when we surrender to Jesus, in that new surrender, it's like the fillings in the book of Acts. They were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, but in chapter 4 they were refilled. And down through the book of Acts there was this continually infilling of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit. There was this surrender. There was this giving of ourselves. There was this giving up of myself to God. 
And when we we surrender ourselves to him, that's when fresh vision comes. When we surrender ourselves to him, that's when fresh passion comes. When we surrender ourselves to him, we see the world through a different set of lenses. We become his witnesses. Missionary Andy Rott said this, Christ has called us to reach the inconveniently lost and go to inhospitable destinations and unwelcoming populations. Missions is not simply sharing Christ with a neighbor or co-worker, that's evangelism. A daily witness of our faith and a responsibility of each believer. Instead, missions is purposely crossing the chasms of geography, culture, language to share Christ with those who have never heard. 3.2 billion people who have never heard. Number four, we have an urgent obligation. An urgent obligation. John chapter nine, verse four. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work. Pentecostals in the early 20th century have had what we call an urgent eschatology. That urgent eschatology just translated means that we expect that Jesus Christ is coming back very soon. When I was growing up, every Sunday night, that was the message. Jesus is coming. The rapture is going to take place. The second coming. And the pastor would preach it every Sunday night. And every Sunday night, Greg Mundus was down at that altar. Because I wanted to be ready. Those early Pentecostals, those in the, 19, in the 20th century, in the 1900s, those early Pentecostals were so taken by the Holy Spirit, were so passionate, so amazed at what God was doing, many of them became missionaries, and they were labeled people of the one-way ticket. Because they would build their coffin, put their worldly goods in a coffin, ship it overseas, never expecting to come back to the United States, either expecting to die or to be raptured. People of the one-way ticket. No, I'm not saying that we have to be people of the We have to have an attitude of a one-way ticket. God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll be who you want me to be. I'll do what you want me to do. It's that kind of abandonment that we're talking about here. What is the Spirit saying to us? Spirit is saying something absolutely incredible, I believe, when we talk about this unique obligation. If I build a chronological timeline across the stage here, and this is 1900, less than 0.1% of all the Christians in the world were Pentecostal charismatic. By the year 1920, it was about 1%. By the year 1940, it was about 2% of all the Christians in the world were Pentecostal charismatic. By the year 1960, 5%. How many remember the 60s? Come on, guys. This is church. you got to tell the truth. How many remember the 60s? That's better. I had a friend that said, if you remember the 60s, you weren't there. The rest of you, ask somebody older person like me. We'll tell you what that means. You fast forward to 1980, 12% of all the Christians in the world are Pentecostal charismatic. 
By the year 2000, almost 28% of all the Christians in the world, over 600 million people, are Pentecostal charismatic in 100 years. Brothers and sisters, that is a last day outpouring of the Holy Ghost. That's Joel. In the last days, I will pour out of my spirit. That's Peter on the day of Pentecost. In the last days, I will pour out of my spirit. Brothers we are, and sisters, we are on the cusp of this outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Here we are being pushed into the 20th century, 21st century, by this tsunami of the Holy Spirit. We are in a unique position in world history. Never before has it been like this. Never before has it been like this. God has been speaking to nations. You think what's happening is by chance God is speaking to nations. 1989, the Berlin Wall came down. Communism, the back, or the, its back was broken at that time. A sociologist in, in Pennsylvania, at the University of Pennsylvania, was asked, what is the historic purpose, or what was the historic purpose of communism? He said, if you ever wondered what the historic purpose of communism was, it was to build buildings large enough for Pentecostal congregations. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, history isn't just happening, it is orchestrated. God is leading us to a, a convergence of history where His Son is coming back. And what work we have to do, we need to do. Night is coming when no man can work. Now, I'm, a, I'm not a prophet of doom and gloom. I am an observer of Scripture being manifested in our day and age. And I'm glad God put me at this point in history. I'm glad that there is a hunger around the world for, for spiritual things, and that we as the Pentecostal Church of Jesus Christ have an answer to the questions that are being asked. That answer, of course, is Jesus Christ. That answer, of course, is the only Son of God that came to earth, lived a sinless life, died without sin, died on the cross, was buried, rose again from the dead, and He can transform lives. Brothers and sisters, when you send out a missionary, they are your emissary taking the good news to those that don't hear. Thank you. But I want to thank you too that the Holy Spirit can speak to our hearts and say, not only should I give, not only should I pray, but Lord, do you want me to go? Lord, do you want me to go? Moms and dads, Sandy and I are mom and dad. We have children. One of our children serves in the Mideast. Moms and dads, are you willing to lay your children on the altar to say, God, take my child and use them for your glory and honor? Children, are you willing to say, Mom and dad can go if there's a call on them? All of us. We can send, we can pray, and some of us get to go. Lord Jesus, thank you for this church. Thank you for their history. Thank you for the leadership. Thank you for Pastor Dan and Becky. Thank you for the pastoral staff and the board. Thank you for the missions board. Thank you for the school. Thank you for the worship team. Thank you for Sunday school teachers. 
Oh, Lord, through all the different ministries. Thank you that they are a lighthouse in this community, Lord Jesus. I pray, oh God, that their light would be a beacon that would shine through the dark places, the dark alleys, the dark places of this locality, Lord, that you would light up, that you would be lifted up, that you would be accessible, Lord. And I thank you, God, that their vision is for this community, but their vision stretches out to the horizons. And I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that that vision would find a birthplace in each one of our hearts, oh God. Because you're not only the Lord of nations, you're the Lord of our personal lives, and you have a designed history for us. Lord, help us to blend our will with your will, not to be in opposition, but to be in cooperation, to be in collaboration, to say, Jesus, I'll, I'll say what you want me to say. I'll, I'll be who you want me to be. I'll do what you want me to do, and I'll go where you want me to go. Oh, God. Help us to lay ourselves on the altar again. The self. To put that down. To say, Jesus, take me. Jesus, use me. And, oh, Lord, don't refuse me. For surely there's a work that I can do. Would you stand to your feet? And... Let's... Some musicians just play in the background. If there is anyone that feels a tugging on their heart, I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's necessarily a green light. It could be a yellow light. It's just that there's a tugging on your heart to go where Jesus wants you to go. I want you to know I'm going to be down here. I want to pray with you. I want to be here accessible so that you can. I, you can have someone that'll be your prayer partner. If you just feel like the Lord is even whispering in your ear and stirring in your spirit, that he would like you not only to be a sender and a prayer, but also a goer. I'll let the worship team lead and I'll be down here if you'd like to pray. The rest of us, thank you. Thank you for giving. Thank you for sending. Thank you for praying. May the Lord increase your tribe.